Amen. It is indeed well with our souls, isn't it? Well, if you're able, please rise as we read God's Word together from Zechariah 10, verses 6 to 12. Hear the reading of God's Word. I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back, because I have compassion on them, and they shall be as though I had not rejected them. For I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them, and they shall be as many as they were before, though I scatter them among the nations. Yet in the far countries they shall remember me, and with their children they shall live and return. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria, and I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon till there is no room for them. He shall pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea, and all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low, and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. I will make them strong in the Lord, and they shall walk in his ways, walk in his name, declares the Lord. The reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we do give you thanks for your word. We thank you that in your word we find truth, grace, mercy, justice, righteousness, and everything else. So Lord, send your Holy Spirit to guide my words to these people here today. That we would know more about you and your love and your grace for us. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen. You may be seated. There is a story in India about a princess, and this princess had a young son who had come down with the plague, and he was very, very ill. He was dying, and there was no cure for her young boy. The doctors had reached the end of what they could do for this young boy. It was only a matter of time. The doctors, however, told the princess that she couldn't go near to her son. Because if she were to come near to him, she too might get sick and die. And after all, she was a princess. She was the heir of the kingdom. She couldn't die. She couldn't get sick. And so she stood there. She stood there at a distance from her dying son. And she couldn't do anything about it. And as he was lying on the bed, his tired and painful eyes slowly opened one day. And he saw his mom standing there at a distance. And he softly said to his mom, Kiss me, Mama. Kiss me, Mama. And through tears, she said, I'm sorry. The doctor said I can't come near. And he said again in a soft voice through his own tears. He saw his mom, the one that used to embrace him when he fell and got hurt. He saw his mom, the one that used to embrace him when he was sad or tired, would rock him to sleep at night. He saw his mom through his tears and through her tears, and he said, kiss me, mama. Kiss me, mama. And in that moment, she closed the gap, and she embraced her son, and she covered him with kisses, covered him with her tears. And the boy knew right then and there that his mom did indeed love him dearly. 
in that moment. She did not care what the doctors said. She did not care anything about disease or plague or illness. She only cared about wiping away the tears of her dying son. She had compassion on her boy as he was dying. You see, compassion forgets the ugliness. Compassion forgets the risk. Compassion forgets the danger. Compassion embraces and covers with kisses. Compassion restores. Compassion redeems. Compassion gives righteousness. Zechariah 10, verse 5, excuse me, verse 6, if you have your Bibles open, and I hope you do, I'm going to be referencing a number of things here this morning. Zechariah 10.6. You see that there, what the Lord says to us? I will bring them back. Why? I will bring them back. Why? Because I have compassion on them. I will bring them back, forgets the risk. I will bring them back, forgets the danger. I will bring them back, embraces and covers with kisses. The Lord covers the distance, doesn't He? And He has compassion in order that we too would not be alone in our death, in our dying, in our brokenness, in our sin. The Lord has compassion that we would have a hope. The Lord has compassion in order that we would be saved. Where are you this morning? I know you're sitting in this room. (laughs) Some of you may, yeah, some of you. Where are you? Tired? Discouraged? Unsatisfied with life? Trying to figure out how do I get there? Where am I going? What, what does this all mean? Scared? Anxious? Perhaps one of those things rings a bell with you. Perhaps one or more rings a bell with you. Perhaps all of them and more We'll tell your story this morning. Let us remember. Let's remember where we are in Zechariah chapter 10. The people were in exile in Babylon. The Lord's brought them back to Jerusalem. The Lord's given them a charge to rebuild this city, to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the walls. And they've been doing that. They've been faithful. They've been obedient for a number of years now. Because the first half of Zechariah was one section of time, and now the second part of Zechariah is some years down the road later. But now that the newness of the excitement of being back in Jerusalem has worn off, now they just are sweating and, and, and laying bricks upon bricks of rebuilding a war-torn city, of, of removing rubble and doing all these things. They've been hard at work. The day-to-day life is a struggle now. And as we saw last week, they've been led astray by bad shepherds. They've been led down a path that just wasn't for their own good. They've had misinformation and and, and led them in the wrong direction. And in these verses, the Lord, through the prophet, then begins to close the distance between himself and the people of Jerusalem. And he begins to close the distance between himself and us even here this morning. He closes the distance and reminds them of who he is. 
that he's a compassionate God. A compassionate God that is going to provide them salvation. We were not the first to hear these words. But these words are meant for you also this morning. And so I wonder if you will allow me just to speak frankly and to hopefully speak into your hearts and your lives here this morning. Wherever you find yourself, my prayer is that these words of Zechariah 10 will penetrate your lives and your hearts today. That will penetrate so that you will know just how high and wide and deep is the love, the grace, and the compassion of the Lord your God. Zechariah 10.6 I have compassion on them for I am the Lord, their God. I needed to hear that this week. (laughs) The Lord is compassionate. He's kind. And he's setting out to bring you back to himself. This compassion then leads to something remarkable. You see, we are that young boy, right? But we've actually gone one step further. We've already died in our sin and brokenness. We were foreigners and aliens, far off, enemies of the Lord, and even more dead in our sin. And in His compassion, the Lord covers that distance. He comes near. He says, I love you. And I'm going to die for you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to bring you back to myself. Whether you're in Egypt, Assyria, Bangkok, brokenness, misery, heartache, he will seek you. He will find you. He will have compassion on you. And he will bring you back to himself. This compassion... This covering of the distance leads to salvation. This embrace leads to salvation. And salvation then is the outcome of the Lord's compassion. He is compassionate in order that we would be saved from our brokenness, from our sin, from our disease, from our plague of sin and death. This is what His compassion does. It covers the distance and saves us. And this is what the prophet is talking about here in the last few verses of Zechariah 10. It's describing to us the nature of salvation. It's saying to us, this is what salvation looks like. It's describing the very nature and character and compassion of the Lord our God. So the question that I have for us this morning as we approach Zechariah 10 is perhaps a really simple one, but also another one of these things that we often think we know the answer to maybe we don't understand the fullness of it. And I'm not here to say I'm going to give you the fullness of everything this morning, but hopefully we have a little bit more understanding of just what is the compassion of the Lord and what does it look like for you and for me as well as for the people of Israel. So the question I have for us is, what is salvation? 
I think I know. But what does Zechariah 10 tell me about salvation? It says to us that salvation is, one, restoration. Salvation is, two, redemption. And salvation is, three, righteousness. So let's look at the first. In verse 6, again, turn back into Zechariah 10, verse 6. We see that Zechariah is telling us that the Lord will strengthen two houses. The houses of Judah and Joseph. Do you see that? In other words, the northern and the southern kingdom. Back in the day, if you know your Bible history, the people of Israel were once one people. And in their sin and in their idolatry, the Lord separated these kingdoms and sent them both into captivity. The northern kingdom into captivity in 722 BC into Assyria. And then what we see here in Zechariah, the southern kingdom is into, into Babylon in 586. But although they had now, in Zechariah, returned Jerusalem, the majority of the entirety of the nation of Israel was still in some sense of captivity. And if not in captivity, dispersed. And, and dispersed into the Gentile world. So much so that much of their history, much of their identity as Jewish people, as the people of God, hadn't totally been wiped away, but had widely been wiped away. So here is the nation of Israel, no longer a unified nation, but separated into two kingdoms, and even in that separation, dispersed and diluted into these community, into the world, right? So this is what's happening in Zechariah 10. Zechariah is speaking directly to now the people that have returned from Jerusalem who were conquered in 586, but there's still some sense in which they're longing for something more. Longing to be the people of God yet once again. The people found themselves in captivity because they had gone astray. They had been idolatrous. They ran after other gods and were disobedient. So the Lord disciplined them and sent them into captivity. He rejected them. And this is what sin does. It causes fractures. It causes what is right and good to be broken. It causes right and good relationships to no longer exist. It causes hurts and pains. It causes rejection. This is the core of what sin does in our lives. It ruins relationships. It ruins relationships between us and the Lord, and it ruins the relationships between each other in marriages, in families, in churches, in schools, in jobs. And it reminds me of what happened at the beginning of the story. We know the story, right? After Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed the Lord, what happened to them? Do you remember? The Lord pushed them out of the garden. The relationship was fractured. Rejection because of sin. They were removed from His presence and in the same sense were exiled out of the Garden of Eden. They were rejected. Now, with this context in mind, let us read again verse 6 of Zechariah 10. I will strengthen Judah and save the tribes of Joseph. I will restore them because... I have compassion on them. They will be as though I had not rejected them, 
for I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. This is good news. Can you imagine if you were a person of Israel reading this? You'd be like, yes, that is awesome. Win. Let's go. This is, this is what they must be feeling. The, 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 isn't the part that I want us to see here this morning is tucked away in the middle of verse 6. It's surrounded by really weighty things, and it's easily missed. Do you see it there? They will be as though I had not rejected them. This is why it's good news. This is why the people of Israel must have just been overflowing with joy. This is what it means to be restored. The people will be as though they were never sent into captivity. The people will be not dispersed any longer. Adam and Eve will be brought back into the garden, and you and I will be brought back into the presence of the Lord just as it was intended to be. Salvation then could be said as the undoing of rejection. Salvation undoes rejection. Restoration is the undoing of rejection. It's the opposite of that. Restoration, salvation, is the securing of acceptance. So much so, as Jesus tells us in John, you can never be brought out of that. Once you're secured in that acceptance, nothing, nothing can take you away. This is what restoration does. This is what salvation does. You are no longer foreigners. You are no longer aliens, but you are mine. You are sons and daughters, heirs of the kingdom, and nothing can take you from the grip of the Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Salvation undoes rejection. We find in our reality not in what appears to be going wrong. We find our reality not in what we feel like is going wrong. We find our reality not in our anxiety or worry or the things that we don't like about our lives. This is not where we find identity. This is not where we find hope and security. We find our hope and security in the undoing of rejection because God is compassionate on you. Because the sense of being lost, right, this, this understanding of where is life taking me and where am I, this is what fuels our fear, our anxiety, our exhaustion, our dissatisfaction with life. The not knowing of what ahead is what ahead is we navigate through the storm of life. We feel rejected, don't we, oftentimes, like no one understands or cares. Nobody gets me. So I'm going to go on my own. I'm going to figure it out. But the Lord said, He is compassionate. You see, the Lord reaches into the fear, into the anxiety, into the frustration, and into the exhaustion, and into the brokenness, and into the hurt, into the tears, and closes the gap. He restores and saves in order that we're not wandering in exile. So we're not wandering in the exile of our emotions or what we hope things could be or what we want them to be. But in the reality of the way it is and the fact that Jesus has compassion on us and brings us into his presence and calls us his, this is our identity. And nothing can change that. 
This is who we are at the core of it. And we're restored in His strength and His compassion. And I love how Scripture seems to to build upon itself. I love how the Lord sets out truth and then reinforces it in many different ways. The Lord knows how we're wired, doesn't He? Because He wired us. He put us together. He knows the schematic of, of what we need and how we need it. He knows sometimes that we need to hear the same thing in different ways. To hear the same things in different ways in order that it would nestle into our existence. So the Lord doesn't stop at verse 6, but rather continues on to show us the reality of Himself and, and what He's accomplished for us. Salvation is not only the undoing of rejection, also known as restoration, restoring us back into security, but it's also redemption. So it's restoration and it's also redemption. There are a number of pivotal events in my life. A number of pivotal events in my life that make Ryan who Ryan is. And believe it or not, over the course of the past 40 days, 50 days, some of those things are becoming more and more apparent to me. Some things I didn't even know are becoming to light about who Ryan is and how I'm wired and what makes me me. Able to point to one or two or three or a number of things of moments in my life that I can say, that had a deep impact on me. Some of those are tragic. Some of those involve death. Some of them are fantastic. New life. New hopes, new dreams. Each of us can look back on our lives and probably point to a few of those things ourselves. Events that we can pinpoint as that makes me me. Or at least that's my story. Verse 8 to 10, recall the most pivotal event in the life of God's people. The event that shaped them and molded them. The event that made them who they are, who they hoped they were to be. That event was the Exodus, the most pivotal point in the history of God's people, where they can look back and say, you, were not once, you, you once weren't a people, but now you are a people. This is what the Lord said as he brought them into the wilderness and brought them to themselves. Once you weren't something, now I have brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of death, and into life, and now you are a people. This was by far, without any doubt, the most pivotal event in the life of God's people of Israel. The time when they were freed from hands of tyranny and oppression. The time when the blood of a sacrificed lamb was spread over the door frames of their homes and their hearts in order that death would not enter in. The time when the cries of Egyptians were heard as their firstborn were found dead because the sacrifice did not cover their homes. Verses 8 to 10 recall these events. And the people knew exactly what Zechariah was talking about because they all knew this was the most pivotal event in their history. And what does he say? He will bring them out of exile from Egypt and Assyria and he will make them one people again. He will bring them from the place where they have been scattered. He will bring them back into the sheepfold and the image of a shepherd once again comes to the forefront a shepherd who was searching for his sheep as they've been scattered, dispersed in the land. 
I think of the parable of the lost sheep that Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 15. You know the one where Jesus is talking about a shepherd that has a hundred sheep and one sheep is lost and he leaves the 99 to go try and find that one sheep. Imagine the shepherd who is so concerned over one sheep that he leaves all the rest because the one is in danger. The one may already be dead. And as he's walking through the sheep, walking through the wilderness, it says in other places that Jesus calls us by name. And so the shepherd has named his sheep and he's calling. I don't know what the name of the sheep is. Johnny, right? Or I don't know what the name of the... He's calling out for the sheep. And maybe the sheep doesn't hear the name, but then he begins to do something that... Did even your parents ever, when it was time to come in at night, I, can't, I wish I knew how to whistle. I really wish I could whistle loud. I've never learned the trick. Can some, anybody, let's just, can anybody, there you go. Roxanne can do it. Thank you, Roxanne. The sheep, we all heard that really well. The sheep could hear the whistle of the shepherd or of Roxanne. He whistles for them, calling them back. Do you hear the compassion? Do you hear the love? Remember, then it says that we were once slaves in Egypt. In, verse, in Deuteronomy 15, 15, it says, The Lord is remembering. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and He redeemed you. He took you out of slavery in Egypt, and He brought you to Himself. Redemption is then to be bought back. The Hebrew word pada is a legal word of transaction, especially for especially in regard to slaves. A slave can be purchased back, but at a significant price. Here the Lord is saying that He is whistling for His sheep to buy them back, to bring them back at a significant cost. He's whistling for His sheep in the wilderness so that they are no longer in slavery. They're no longer in the wilderness in death and dying. So what does that mean for us? in our anxiety, in the wilderness of our fears, in the wilderness of our dissatisfaction, in the wilderness of our terror, of our fear, of our tears, of our sorrow, of our hurt. He's whistling. He's whistling. He's whistling for you to bring you back because He already has bought you with a price. The price of His own life. He didn't buy you with silver or gold. But Peter says he's bought us with his blood. With the precious blood of Christ. The shepherd then is the one who gives his own life. No matter the cost. Even the cost of his life. It is his blood that's wiped over the doorframe of the house. It's his blood that's wiped over the doorframe of your heart and your life. In order that we can be redeemed out of the bondage of sin and brokenness and death. But he says in verse 10 that we would be brought back home. There's room for you, he says. Have you ever squeezed a sponge that had soap in it doing dishes? And you run it under the water and you're trying to get the sponge clean again and then as you run under the water and you, you squeeze it and the white soap oozes out of the sponge. As I squeeze Zechariah 10 more and more this week, the compassion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ ooze out of the pages for me. Of how He has sought me 
and how he seeks all of us. As we look at Zechariah 10, I hope you see the same compassion oozing out of the pages of how he restores us and how he redeems us. The response then as we come to his seeking is to heed his call and to walk towards him. But even that's something that we have a really difficult time with, isn't it? Because there's many times when I don't want to be found. I'd much rather be in the thicket of my stuff. I don't want to be found because it's a lot easier to be all by myself, to be alone in my own stuff. I don't want anybody to talk to me to tell me I'm wrong. I don't want to, it's just, and I really don't want the Lord to whistle after me. It would be much easier if we were left to our own devices. And the Lord understands. That's why he finishes out this section of Scripture with more compassion. He doesn't say, fine, go by yourselves and just, I'll leave you your own destruction. No, he doesn't say that. He's going to keep whistling. He's going to keep calling. He's going to keep searching. Look at verse 12 with me. It says that he will make us strong. It says that he will lead us in order that we would walk in his name. What does he mean? It means that we aren't capable of heeding his call. We can't. Because we actually like to be in the thicket. We like to be alone. It means we're not capable in our brokenness to hear his call. So he steps in. The boy, the princess, died while his mother covered him with kisses. The disease overtook him, and she continued to embrace him. She continued to shower him with her tears. She closed the distance between rejection and compassion. And this is exactly what Jesus has done for us. He closes the gap between death and life, between rebellion and righteousness, between rejection and acceptance. Through his sacrifice, he draws near to us. Through his tears of blood, he showers us with his grace. Why? Squeeze the sponge. Because he has compassion on us and he loves us more than we can possibly imagine. Because he knows that we too in our sin are dead. And the only hope is that we have of him leading us to green pastures and still waters. And he leads us down paths of righteousness. You see, look at verse 11 with me. He's the one that passed through the sea of death. He's the one that defeated the depths of death. And he was laid low in order that we would be made strong, in order that righteousness would be ours and we would walk in his ways for his name's sake. Do not fear. Do not tremble. For he restores our souls. He redeems us. He leads us down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The great shepherd of the sheep has laid down his life for guys like me. 
and people like you. It's in that grace that we are not dead, but we've been gathered in and redeemed and have been given life everlasting. So then as it says in verse 7, may our hearts be glad. And they be glad like with wine. Let's rejoice. Let's rejoice because the Lord has compassion on us. Let's rejoice in his compassion because he saves us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are humbled by your compassion. We are humbled by your love and your grace and your care and your mercy for us. There are no words in any language that can fully tell the story of how it is that you love us. But we thank you that you give us images like bread and wine and a cup to help tell the story. And so prepare our hearts as we come to your table now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.